I got your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I went 12 minutes over last service, so I'm going to try to do a little better. I'm going to try to do a little better for you. If you're new or visiting, we're glad to have you. You might be tempted to sneak out after I just said I went 12 minutes over. But don't. Uh, don't. 1 Corinthians, I want to start way back in verse 8. Didn't get to really talk about it. Really don't have time to talk about it. Uh, the text this morning is actually 14 through 21, but I'd like to just read from verse 8 all the way through 21, and then we'll pray and we'll get started. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled we bless. When persecuted we endure. When slandered we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world. The refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you that there is no such thing as an agnostic. Lord God, we can know you because you have revealed yourself through your word. Lord Jesus, I pray that you and the Father would send the Holy Spirit to us in this service. Lord God, open our minds, open our hearts to hear what the Spirit says. Father, to grow in your word as you have called us to grow in your word. That we could be this temple, this physical manifestation of your gospel, of your life, death, burial, and resurrection uh, in Ackworth, in Cartersville, in, in Kennesaw, and all around where you have planted us this morning. Lord Jesus, our desire is to be your people. Help us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Now, first things first. We are at the end of a conversation that Paul began all the way back in chapter 1. The first thing he wants to talk to, the after, after he says grace and peace to you, 
And how thankful he is that this is a Christian church saved by the grace of God and the evidence of the Spirit is on them. You're the real deal. You're the real church. You love Jesus. You are his people. But I've got this against you. You are causing divisions in the church and and you're using the leaders of the church to, to spur those divisions further throughout the body. And for a couple chapters, he talks about how this occurs when we take the, the wisdom of the world and the, and the power of the world. We see, we see power here again in this final ch- chapter of this diatribe. We take the wisdom of the world. Right? We're full. Let's be honest with ourselves. We're full of the world. We live more in the world than we, than we uh, uh, stay in our Bibles uh, every day where the songs are preaching messages of the world that we listen to. The, the television shows are preaching messages of the world that we're watching. Our, our jobs and career paths are inundated. Our educational system is inundated with the wisdom of this world to get everything you can. Uh, work hard and think about you and don't mind you can stab him in the back it's okay it's dog eat dog out in the world it's all about us our social media screams of the wisdom and the power of the world just a hundred more people and I can be an influencer who do I have to pay who do I have to kill to get these hundred more likes Our our lives are inundated in the wisdom of the world and in the power of the world. And we bring this into the church where it combats against the wisdom of God and the power of God. The wisdom of the world always takes for itself. The wisdom of God always is giving. The wisdom of the world uh, displays itself in haughtiness and arrogance and about me. The, The wisdom of God is always about others as even God himself comes all the way to us to serve us, even to give his life for us while we were still his enemies. Don't you love that verse? Doesn't that just bring some flavor to the gospel? It wasn't when we were trying really hard. It wasn't when we were praying and asking him to show up in our lives. No, while we were his enemies, God made everything good. It was perfect. Everything God does is perfect. We're the ones who sin. We're the ones who stepped out of bounds, which is one of the main definitions. The word is used over 600 times in the scripture. One of the main definitions of sin is when God lays out boundaries and we step outside those boundaries. What causes us to step outside those boundaries? Our own pride. We think we're smarter than God. We think we can do things better than God. We think the wisdom of the world is going to make us happier than the wisdom of God. We're inundated with this, which is why we have public confession here at Four Points after our worship time together. The minute you begin to think that you're not part of the problem, that you're not a sinner in need of the grace of Jesus Christ is the moment that you will uh, do exactly what the Corinthians are doing, bringing divisions and slander and gossip into the church, making things harder for us to be God's people instead of uh, helping us grow into the godliness that the Lord requires and wants for us to grow in. You know, the church is a lot like My daughter's volleyball team. 
<laughs> I love Zim's laugh. I can always tell. You know, my, my daughter, she's 12. She started playing volleyball several years ago. She's actually really good at it. They're undefeated. Go lightning. Woo! But when she first started playing, I think she was eight or nine. How many of you have been to a volleyball game of eight and nine-year-old girls? Yeah. <laughs> it's that much fun. Girls are standing out on the court. They don't know where they are. They don't know what they're doing. The ball bounces right in front of them. They weren't paying attention. They're counting butterflies, uh, floating on. They don't understand the rules. Right? But as, as we've watched over the, the same group of girls over the last several years, man, they're becoming little athletes now. 12 years old, and you can tell some of them still are not as confident. Some of them still don't understand the rules. And sometimes even the adults in the crowd don't understand the rules. When I, I never played volleyball on a team, but I was in gym class when I was young. <laughs> and in gym class, you had to serve the ball to score a point. Does anybody remember that? Not a rhetorical question. Somebody help me feel like I'm not crazy. You could, if they messed up their serve, you didn't get a point back then. But and now they play every time somebody serves, somebody's going to get a point. So all our girls that are always trying to, to be awesome and overhand, which always goes in the net, just point, point, point for the other team every time. I'm just like, oh, just hit it underhanded for crying out loud. Right? So the rules have changed in the, the Paulding Rec League. But some of those girls are really growing up. I mean, they're really finding their place, and, and they know the weak players. And if the ball's hit to a weak player, sometimes they'll just dive right in and, and help them out. Right? To score points for their team. And I, I'm sitting here watching this game uh, just yesterday morning as... As Hannah's playing and, and they won three games in a row and still undefeated. And I was like, this is a lot of what Paul is talking about for the church. He wants us to get better at what we're called to be. And don't you want to get better? Awesome, let's just go home now then. <laughs> we should want less divisions among our... I mean... Remember, at the beginning of this, Paul says, is Christ divided? And of course, the answer is no. So the problem is not our gospel that saves us. The problem is not our God who saves us. The problem is us. And Paul really drills them in this uh, layer of satire from verses 8 through 13. He says, oh, if only I would have known you guys had all the answers. I wouldn't have had to get beat with rods, and I wouldn't have had to get stoned, and I wouldn't have had to got the education I have, and Jesus wouldn't have had to knock me off my horse, and I wouldn't have had to bleed and sweat and, and pour over and pray through all those times. I wouldn't have had to study to, to preach those sermons if I hadn't known. You guys already had all the answers about how this thing was supposed to work. I mean, Paul is ribbing them. He's, he's got the knife in and he's, he's twisting it so they can see uh, reductio ad absurd. They can see how ridiculous it is 
to be haughty and to be arrogant and to think you have all the answers and, and to use that kind of pride, the same sin. Augustine called it the mother of all sins because it was the sin of Satan himself to think he knew more than God, for him to want God's throne and God's crown for himself. Pride is the mother of all sins. Paul says, and who am I? I'm just, I guess I'm just the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So here's what we're going to be talking about. Authority and accountability within the church. Because we must have, how many parents do we have in the room? Authority and accountability are necessary things for positive human development. How many of you have ever seen a kid that's never had authority or accountability? Yeah, we call them snowflakes, right? Right, little terrorists is what they are. And isn't it true, you know, back in the 70s, and I was born in the 70s, but I remember seeing in the early 80s, right, these bumper stickers came out in the 70s that said, question everything. Now, you don't see that bumper sticker anymore, and do you know why? Because we don't need to see that bumper sticker anymore. It has become the silent base of all human thinking in America. We have seen leader after leader after leader, authority after authority after authority. How many of you are teachers? Right, we got a lot of teachers in here. Let me blow some sunshine on you. You guys need some sunshine, amen? When I was a kid, when by the way, they still paddled back then, and when I got paddled at home, it didn't matter what my excuse was. It didn't matter if the teacher was wrong or if, if I had some great thing. Oh, it was just a mistake and a misunderstanding. If I got paddled at school, I got paddled at home. Amen? My parents never took my side, ever. <laughs> if I got in trouble at school, I was in trouble at home because the teacher was always right. And let me hear a good amen from the educators in the room. Forget about that now. Teachers are getting sued left and right. What you did to my poor Johnny, he failed his test. No, 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 you don't understand. He's just had a hard time. He failed his test. Authority and accountability are part of life. Name any organization. Now, you can be a hermit and live out in a cave by yourself, but name any other organization that has multiple people working in it that does not have some kind of authority system. Even the smallest building block of human society, the family, a mother, a father, and children has authority and accountability built into its structure. And if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. We need authority. What sports team doesn't have a coach or a captain? What, what nation doesn't have a prime minister or a congress or a president or a king or queen? There's nothing, what business doesn't have a C-suite full of uh, CFOs and CEOs? Every team has a leader, and the church is no 
different and authority and accountability are part of human life. There can be no flourishing without families being good families and without churches being good churches and ministering and and obeying the authority that God gives and, and holding accountability. Now, this might seem strange to our ears in 2023. And I need you to remember before we even get in here, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to be 12 minutes. <laughs> this is so important because when we read our Bible, sometimes we forget it's 2,000 years ago and there wasn't a church on every corner. Why is there a church on every corner? We've been talking about this for weeks now. Some little group gets mad at another little group, and instead of working it out the way God intends us to, we take our ball and we go across the street and we start something new. Not because God called us across the street, not because God wants to plant the gospel across the street because we're in a fuss or we're in a fire or we're dividing over some silly thing and we're all choosing our leaders and we elect new leaders to take us across the street because we all like those leaders who tell us exactly what we want to believe, amen? I think somewhere Paul told Timothy that itching ear speech. We all like to hear what we want to hear. And isn't it true? I've said this about Christian bookstores for the last 15 years. You can find a Christian or an author that calls themselves Christian that will tell you anything you want to hear. You can find that podcaster or that blogger that will, will tell you that, that your thoughts are the right thoughts and the best thoughts and you should trample on your church leaders and you should, you should cause a big stink and you should go across the street and do something different. Well, 2,000 years ago, there was one church in Corinth. And we're going to talk about authority and accountability and even discipline next week. Where Paul tells, in chapter 5, Paul moves from divisions over leaders to sexual immorality in the church. And he actually makes the statement, get that man out of the church. He's going to pollute the whole thing. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He actually says, turn him over to Satan. Not so that he would be destroyed, but so he can learn what it means to be absent from the grace of God. Which is what the church is supposed to do for us. We should want to be here. Because together with God's people is where we sense the Holy Spirit as we worship him. We sense his spirit. As we open his word, we feel his conviction. We're, we're growing together. If you were to suddenly lose that, it should keep you up at night. Amen? This is, this is the context in which Paul is. But as people say, once the milk is spilt, you can't put it back in the bottle. So it's going to be harder for us. Much harder for us now than it was for them there. No, those are not some kind of weird pronouns. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, if the church said, you're out of fellowship until you repent of your sin and stop doing what you're doing, it would have been a much more serious thing because they had nowhere else to go. But here today, again, we can just cross the street and have some other leader somewhere tell us that the church was wrong. They should have never done that. Those elders messed everything up in your life and in your situation. Just, just come here and start paying your tithes. It'll be all right. 
This is what Paul is talking about. And after he ribs, and, and I read this in a commentary this week, and just let, me, just let me put this out there. Have this in the back of your mind as we move through 14 through the end of chapter 4. There's a lot of people. Churches have flavors. Amen? Some of you like this church probably because you have a good sense of humor. (laughs) We like to smile here. We believe God gave us all the emotions. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we're uh, overwhelmed by his presence. But sometimes we laugh and got all the emotions. God's an emotive being. He created us in his image and likeness to, to display the, the varying uh, uh, degrees of, of all human emotion. Sometimes we get, I mean, Paul is a little angry here about bringing a rod. So anger is an emotion, and anger is not bad. God says, in your anger, do not say there are going to be times we should feel angry and, and a holy discontent with the way that things are outside of the gospel. Here's what I want you to have in the back of your head. When you find a church that has that flavor... All right, some of you, you like our church because we don't take ourselves seriously, but we take the gospel very seriously. When you find that place to gather together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and you sense God at work, not only in others around you, but you sense him at work in you, and you feel yourself growing, and you're being a better father than you've ever been, and you're being a better wife than you've ever been, and you're understanding the gospel and God's word more than you ever have. See, So many places people love to come to churches like ours for the fruit that is born in the vineyard, the the fruit that God is bringing. But something happens, something always happens where they don't love the the fruit, but they don't love the vineyard anymore. They try to change the vineyard, but understand you change the vineyard, you get people all together and you, you, you start your coup or you try to raise it. Right, when you kill the vineyard, you kill the fruit too. Don't just love the fruit of who we are as God's people in the world. Love the vineyard. Love the church. Protect the church. Live in a way that that honors God by loving your neighbors well. And grow just like those little volleyball players. They have to grow up and get better and learn the rules. This is what Paul is calling this church in Corinth to do. You're saved. You're Christians. But you got to get better you got to get over yourselves, your haughtiness and your arrogance. Verse 14. See, now we're starting. <laughs> and why would, why would Paul speak like this to this church? This church he planted, this church he loves. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved Children, I want better for you. Do you know what unforgiveness does to a human heart? It destroys. It brings bitterness. And bitterness affects every other relationship in your life as you lose trade. You know, I, I had this bad situation and I can't trust. And now I can't trust. I'm having trust problems across all my relationships. Right, just, right, sin destroys, pride destroys, haughtiness destroys. Paul doesn't want that for the church. 
Paul doesn't want the slander, the gossip, the constant division in the church. He's like, as as my beloved children, I am imploring you, please listen to me. I know the path you're on. I know the direction you're going. It's not going to satisfy. It's not going to make things better. Big deal if you prove your point. You know, sometimes we can be right. I learned this being married to Sarah. Sometimes you can be right and still wrong. (laughs) Just so you know a little bit about Sarah and I, we are two firstborn people. She's not in this service. She's back serving in a kid's room, so I can say this. We're two firstborns. Here's what that means. We're used to being right. Sometimes we'll fight just to see who can win. Right? And I have learned in marriage that sometimes I can be right, use the right words, say it the right way, and still be wrong because my wife feels unloved. That's not being a good husband, amen? Which is why God has given us the beautiful gift of his blood and repentance so that we can not only protect our hearts from bitterness and unforgiveness, but we can love others well where they don't feel rejection uh, that turns into bitterness and unforgiveness as well. Paul's like, I'm begging you, please, as my beloved children. Paul planted this church. He loves this church. He wants to see all God has for them in the city of Corinth. Turn with me real quick because I just want to show you Paul's heart. To 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul's talking about his suffering as an apostle. And we don't have time to read all of this, but this is, this is that whole section where he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I was beaten with rods a bunch of times. I was given the 40 lashes minus one three times. I've been in prison. I've been stoned, left for dead. I've been shipwrecked. I mean, just on and on. Paul's talking about his sufferings as an apostle. And when you think of it, you know, sometimes I'm doing this study right now on, the, on Paul's first missionary journey, and I'm actually following the Roman roads that are still there. Still there. They're not used anymore by modern society. But you can still find archaeologists know where all these Roman roads are. And, and, and they're following the path that Paul went. And sometimes when you read in Acts, that Paul went from so-and-so to so-and-so. And it's just one verse. But what we, what we don't understand sometimes is that road, that's a three-week travel at best up through a mountain uh, uh, covered by pirates and thieves and bandits. I mean, Paul suffered for the gospel. But look what he says here in verse 28. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul wants the churches to survive. Paul wants the churches not only to be forgiven of sin, but to continue to conquer sin in their midst that Jesus would be showed not as a divided God, but as a unifying God bringing people together. Not a weapon to be used to dismantle and divide. Paul wants best. Paul wants more for this church. Verse 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ... You do not have many fathers. 
For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. How many of you remember where Paul traveled to Corinth? Paul taught in the synagogues. Paul went out to the marketplaces to preach the gospel. And many got saved at hearing Paul preach the gospel. The church began because Paul went there and planted the gospel in the ground. And a church grew up out of it. How many of you remember where you were when you heard the gospel? Maybe it was Billy Graham. Maybe it was uh, someone else. For me, it was my father. I didn't get saved in church. But my father raised me to know the gospel. So my physical father is actually also my spiritual father. Woohoo! I got some bang for the buck there. When I needed hope... The gospel my father taught me was in me and I was able to reach out and allow Christ to save me in those moments. I'll never forget when he changed my life. I have never, I've not been a perfect man since, but I have never been the same since I felt Jesus Christ change me in a moment. Paul tells these people, and how many of you, you have a, there's been some preachers that have come and gone. Maybe your spiritual father is somebody that you don't like to say his name anymore because you're a little embarrassed. But praise God, amen. If God can use a donkey, he can use Jesse Duplantis. <laughs> Holy Spirit say, Jesse. Nobody remembers TBN. All right. Paul, Paul grounds. The authority that God has given them in these people's lives. In their hearing of the gospel and their salvation experience. Paul's not coming to them and say, man, you better listen to me or else. No, he's coming to them as a father would come to a child. As all authority and accountability and discipline should occur, amen. Out of love, out of good, out of hope, out of wanting better. Out of wanting the child to not be Spoiled, rotten. He appeals to his fathership in their lives. I urge you, verse 16, then be imitators of me. Paul grounds everything I've shown you, everything I've taught you. In a second, he's going to say, as I've taught in all the churches. One thing you need to know is the church didn't come up and create Christian doctrine in the 4th century. Sound doctrine was already being proclaimed in the lives of the apostles who were traveling and planning churches, first in Jerusalem, and then all over the known world of the Roman Empire. For 30 years, these apostles traveled and taught and planted churches, and sound doctrine was already in place. The life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ already in place. They didn't make it up hundreds of years later as some scholars would want you to believe. But Paul says, I urge you to be imitators of me. And what did Paul do everywhere he went? Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 16. I'm going to give you just three or four verses from the writings of Paul and, and one verse from the writings of Peter to show you they're on the same team here. What does Paul, how, how can we imitate him? How does he want us to think? How does he want us to act? 
like this. And now, as we go through this, remember, if anybody could have been the man, it was Paul. If anybody could have slammed their finger, their fist down on a table and say, you have to listen to me, it would have been Paul. He had more degrees. He had more accolades. If anyone could have been proud of their own works. That's why Philippians 3 is so important. We're not going to go there today. But he says, all that I had, Pharisee of Pharisees, tribe of Benjamin, all the stuff, the right education, the right family, the right everything, I had it all. He said, I counted it as scubalong, which is a four-letter word that means poop. <laughs> why? For Christ to have this mind. Look at Romans 12. He says, live in harmony with one another. Some of your Bibles will translate that. Be of the same mind. We can be united in Christ Jesus. Because Christ and his mind is not divided. And if we take his mind upon ourselves, we can do what the scripture commands. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live in harmony with one another. But what's it going to take? It's going to take getting over ourselves. It's going to take us not being the Bible answer man that's always right. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. What is the most uh, uh, spoken Old Testament verse in the New Testament? The Lord opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Why did God use Paul the way that God used Paul? Because Paul was a humble gospel man. Why did Paul not use, or why did God not use Alexander, Dumas, Demas, and some of these other guys that we read about? Because they were proud. They just wanted the crowds. They just wanted to be right. There was no love. There was no devotion. There was no call to unity. It was just, follow me, forget Paul. We stick a knife in Paul's back. Paul had a lot of Judas that wanted his influence. But they didn't want his life. Which is why Paul said, be imitators of me. Be humble. God opposes the proud. Don't think too much of yourselves. Never be wise in your own sight. Listen to others. Live with others. Seek unity. Seek the same mind, the one mind, the mind of Christ together. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Look at Philippians 2.2. Complete my joy by being of the same Mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. And again, what mind is this? It's Paul's mind, which has been transformed by the mind of Christ. It is the mind of Christ that gives us a single-mindedness within the church. One more. Let's see Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you. 
have unity of mind. For it is only that mind of Christ, that single-mindedness, that will bring the sympathy and the brotherly love and a tender heart and a proud, haughty mind. No, a humble mind. Worldly wisdom is when we just think a little too much of ourselves than we should. And that always wrecks every relationship we have. Humility. Listen, I've told you before when we were in Song of Solomon, I've told you before a couple other times when we're talking about marriage, uh, I always tell you, look at your spouse. If you're married in the room, look at your spouse and just say this, repeat after me, I'm part of the problem. Same in the church. It's never just them. It's never just the pastor or an elder. It's never just that person uh, three rows away from you. It's, it's always a 50-50 split. We are part of the problem. And only the true gospel of Christ can give us the single mind of Christ so that we can be a more humble people, willing to come to the table, willing to work through whatever division has occurred so that we can protect the integrity of the gospel as his people in the world. Don't just love the fruit. Love the orchard. Love the church. Love the integrity that we should have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fight for it. Because guess what? The world wants it gone. Satan wants it gone. Satan wants us to be laughing stocks. Satan wants our gospel to, to be foolish. The way we live matters. Protect the integrity of the gospel. I urge you, be imitators of me. Verse 17, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. I've sent you Timothy. You know why Paul loves Timothy? Because Paul never sends Timothy off on an important mission. Paul knows if he can't be there, he's got to get Timothy or Titus or one of these faithful sons in the faith that he trusts. Because Timothy never goes off and starts their own YouTube channel. <laughs> Timothy never goes off and hears disgruntled people and says, I think you're right and Paul's wrong to try to build a crowd for himself. Timothy never does that. He is on God's mission alongside Paul. He knows it's not Paul's show. He knows it's not his show. He knows it's God's show. And he wants to be the faithful brother who comes along and speaks for God and brings people together in the gospel instead of allowing them to, to, to beat one another into pulps. Jesus said, and he made it very clear, you will know a tree by its fruit. It's time to look at the fruit of the people that you listen to. You know, the Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. If your best friends 
It's constant drama all the time. Constant gossip, constant slander. This people and that people, those people, it's constant, constant, constant. It may be time to find some new friends. God has better for you. I mean, is your heart constantly out of whack? Are you having trouble sleeping at night because you're thinking of all the things that are going on in your personal world? There's better. There's faithfulness. Find a Timothy. Find a Titus. Find a man who's fathered his kids well. Find a woman who's been an excellent mother in the home. Find people whose lives show, the fruit shows they love Jesus. They're not about themselves. They want to do God's work. They want to do things God's way. They're going to stick to what God says, even when they don't like it. Find those people. Find a Timothy. There's a lot of Timothys in this room. There's a lot of Titus. Find them. Work into that small group and grow in the unity that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings. Stay off the blogs. One of my staff uh, presented a blog to me this past week, this past Tuesday, and it was about a church that we were connected to, and this, this egalitarian woman was just ripping this church apart and and so I was just like, you know what, I don't have time for this. I'm just going to call. So I call. I was like, what's going on? This lady's saying this. This lady's saying that. Turns out none of it was true. What do you know? Bloggers can say whatever they want. They don't have any FCC regulations. And what do you know? People hate gospel-centered churches. People want to destroy gospel-centered churches and gospel-centered church organizations. Look at the fruit do you want your life to look like their life? If you don't, find a Timothy, find a Titus, find some people you can trust that are honoring God with their lives, that, that kids don't, their kids don't reek of the worldly wisdom of this world. Let me get down to the rod. Faithful Timothy, verse 18, some are arrogant. Where do divisions always come from? What cause, I read you uh, James 4 a few weeks ago. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You want something and you don't get it. It's what causes every fight and every quarrel you'll ever have. You feel like you're owed something. You feel like you deserve something. You want something and you don't get it. That's why we fight and that's why we quarrel. It's the only reason the Bible gives for fights and quarrels. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Think about that. Their power. Now here's what I know about Paul from history. We don't know this for sure, but history tells us Paul was kind of a scrawny dude. Bald and scrawny. So if you're bald and scrawny in the room, you're in good company. Apostle Paul was the same way. But you know what? I wouldn't want to get in a fight with Paul. And you know why? Because this dude's been beat with rods like seven times. 
This dude knows how to take a punch. He knows how to take a beating and get up. And I bet being beat with rods that many times, he probably knows how to swing one too. He's like, oh yeah, that'll really hurt if they do it right there. I've experienced that several times. Here's what, and I need you to hear this. Because you hear the chatter just like I do. And it's always, it's always a sweet, special little snowflake that comes to me half my age. Their kids aren't even old enough to tell whether they're a good father or not. They've never planted a church. They've never pastored a church. But they know everything I'm doing wrong. Brian, we live in a different world. You can't, you can't say the things that you're saying. I remember one guy came to me after, and this is back in COVID and all that stuff, and I just got so sick of COVID. I just told God's people, what are you scared of? COVID doesn't have the last say. God has the last say. This is the life we have. This is the time he's given us on earth. You better live your life and get out of your closet like a scared little baby. You can't, you can't say it. I went back and listened to it like 20 times. I regret nothing. <laughs> I regret nothing. Some are arrogant, but I will come soon. And we're going to see these arrogant people. We're going to see not their talk, but their power. For the kingdom, verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power, the power of God. <clears throat> what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? I've had people tell me there's no room for talk of rods in the New Testament church, in the modern church of 2023. But the more I study scripture, the more I see, and I've constantly reminded people, do you not remember when Jesus made that whip? There is a time to speak. You know, I was doing a counseling session one time. You guys are getting a bunch of stuff the first service didn't get. But here's just some context for you. So this young girl and this young guy, he comes from a bad home. She came from a pretty decent home. They were good members here at the church. But this, you know, this guy from a bad place, young. They were young, not even in their 20s yet. They end up getting pregnant as the story goes. And so, you know, they're, you know, he wants to marry her and they, they want to uh, be a family. And the parents were worried. They were so young. And so they bring him in to talk to me because as a pastor, I can solve everybody's problems. <laughs> Hardly ever works. <laughs> so I just look at this guy, this young guy, and I said, how? Now, if you guys get married, you, you're going to have to support her. As, as your wife and as a mother to this child, how are you going to support her? That was my first question to him. And he got up and he walked out of the room. And I thought, that's, that's weird. That's never happened. First for everything. And the mom of the daughter looks at me and she, she says, he just doesn't understand real talk. And I just remember saying, he better figure it out real quick because he's got a baby coming. Right? Reality is a cruel teacher. And like it or not, we live in a real world with real answers and real solutions. 
And Paul says, and listen, we're going to get into it more next week. But Paul says, can you guys fix this problem? Can you fix the division so I can come and just enjoy my time with you? Or do I need to bring the rod? Because there's a place for the rod. As every father knows and as every mother knows and as the last couple generations clearly show us what society looks like when we spare the rod. I mean, what place? Is there for a grown man to dress up like a female prostitute and teach kindergartners anything? We live in a nonsense world now because the rod has been spared. Ryan, go ahead and come up. The good news is God wants us to grow and he's given us every tool That we need to be the people he's called us to be. Love the church. Protect the church. Protect the integrity of who we are as God's people. The physical representation of Christ in the world. Don't let her go down the tubes. It's not just up to me. It's not just up to the elders. It's up to each and every one of us to hear God's word and take it to heart and repent of our sin and say, God, rip this pride out of me so that I can be the humble man of God, the humble woman of God that you've called me to be, that I can be a blessing to my fellow brothers and sisters instead of the constant drama and the constant curse that I'm filling their heads with. This is God's desire, and I hope you will join me in the fight. P.S., I do want to say this because I said it last service. If you've been at more than three churches in the last five years, you are part of the problem. <laughs> 